In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Just a reminder that Diet Starts Tomorrow is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical advice. Always seek the advice of a physician or a health professional. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow. I stand behind my decision to avoid salad and other disgusting things. With hosts Remy Casimir. I'll have what she's having. And Emily Lubin. Remember, shoot like you have a secret. We're here to amuse your boosh. Hello and welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Emily. And I'm Remy. And today we're joined by intuitive eating registered dietitian, Brittany Modell. Welcome, Woo! Brittany. Yay. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited oh, really? to have you here. We're so thrilled to have you yeah. here. <laughs> Brittany has been a registered dietitian as well as a listener of DST. So I feel like you are going to have some really great insight into a lot of questions we have and a lot of listeners as well. Yes. Yeah. And we actually did not know that you listened to this show when we talked about <laughs> having you on. Um, Remy knew you personally, and that's how yep. we, yes. we connected. But I think it's great that you understand the history, the herstory of the herstory. DST. <laughs> and I, I know that there are a lot of people listening who have listened for a long time. Mm -hmm. And suddenly we're in here and we're talking about anti-diet lifestyles. And for some people, you know, it can be a little, it's a little unfamiliar to them. Especially if they're coming here for certain tips and tricks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, can you share your background and how you became a dietitian in the first place? Yeah. Yes. So first of all, I've been listening to DST for so long and I feel like my career has almost evolved with DST as far as my own mission Unreal. and like philosophy around food. Um, so yes. That's so, amazing. you know, Kind of taking you back to where it all began, I, as early as like age 10, was always told that like my body was wrong, I had to lose weight, mm -hmm. that there was something like really inherently wrong with my body. And it came from well-meaning family members, doctors, maybe not so well-meaning friends and peers, but mm -hmm. you know, I would receive all of these comments from my family. And so my entire life since like age 10, I just wanted to lose weight. I really yeah. wanted to lose weight. And despite all of the efforts that I, you know, went through since age 10, it was really hard. I actually mm -hmm. came across a letter that I wrote home to my mom from sleepaway camp. And in it, I said, hi, mom. Like, oh, I can't lose weight. It's so annoying. Did like, you go I'm to working. fat camp? I did not go to fat camp. Okay. No. But I wanted to when I watched it on MTV. Way back oh, when. Do you know that, that reality so series was filmed at the camp that I went to? Camp Shane? Yeah. No, Camp Pocono Trails. Isn't oh. that where it was filmed? Well, Camp Shane was another camp that 
was the exact same thing. So, oh, yes. So maybe I'm mistaken about that. No, no, it probably was. But the fat camp that I went to also inspired the movie Heavyweights, if you've ever seen that. Yes, oh. I have. Yes. Um, which is like unreal. The camp director in that movie is named Tony and the camp director at Stop. my camp was named Yeah, it's 100% inspired Oh my by that. God. That is wild. But about camp... Did you go into camp thinking like, I'm going to be doing all these sports and I'm going to be really intentional? Like it was just your personal goal to lose weight? My personal goal, I would have friends, moms write me at camp being like, you look so great at visiting day, sweetie. Like keep up the great Mm. work. It was a lot of reinforcement from Mm. the outside. Oh yeah. yeah. And I was young. So fast forward, I spent probably two decades of my life actively trying to lose weight. And I get to college and I'm like embarking on this like, healthy living, and I go into like full-blown disordered eating, Mm. possibly an undiagnosed eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And again, I was like so obsessed with food and weight and my body size, and I kept getting so much validation from the outside world. And that's why this is so hard for so many people. Once they have a taste of that, it's like it kind of propels you to keep going and going and going. And my disordered eating essentially is what led me to become a dietitian because I was so consumed by food. It's all I thought about. I like went to sleep thinking about what I ate that day. I woke up thinking about mm-hmm. what I was having for breakfast and I wanted to help people, you know, lose weight like I could. And that is how I entered the space. But where I'm at now is like completely different from where I started. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny because I do think that a lot of people who've had disordered eating are drawn to careers in dietetics yep. because they they have all this energy, right? And they want to like channel yes. it into something positive. But then quite often you're going into it with that still disordered mindset. And it, it kind of exactly. like it's going to fuck up your relationship with your patients also because you're going to be giving them bad advice. A hundred percent. And I I mean, I can't even explain how many dietitians come into the space with an eating disorder, with disordered eating. And it's mm-hmm. actually not spoken about like nearly as much as it should be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, there was a message we got because we had asked a few episodes back, like, what is the difference between disordered eating and an eating disorder? And we yes. have this great um, listener, Tess, um, who wrote me and she said, back again with the medical help dissection. In regards to the episode about eating disorder versus disordered eating, there's actually not a medical definition. Instead, there are different ICD 10 codes, billing codes for different food related problems. For example, restriction disorder, binging disorder, addictive habits, etc. Some of the ones doctors use don't even necessarily associate it with food, but with habitual patterns. So you'll rarely hear a doctor tell you verbatim you have an eating disorder instead of disordered eating or vice versa. Um, at the end of the day, all the label is is for medical billing and justification of care. So eating disorder or disordered eating doesn't necessarily matter. If you have binging tendencies, your doctor codes it just as such, and therefore your care is justified. So going along the idea, if you deserve recovery before the brink of death, you literally do. Yeah. And this is actually especially problematic for folks who have like atypical anorexia, Mm -hmm. where they're not meeting the weight criteria. Mm -hmm. So somebody could literally be starving themselves, but because they're not at a certain BMI, they don't have anorexia. So it's it is really harmful and hopefully in the next you know few years like we can create some progress with eating disorder diagnoses the truth is it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is but what is the impact it's having mm-hmm. on your quality of life on your day yes 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm wondering what attracted you to intuitive eating after you had become a dietitian. Like, what was yeah. that journey like? So I did not believe in intuitive eating when I first heard it. I didn't get it because I was still very much in my disorder eating. Yeah, Same. I'm like, what do you I mean? I was like, this is how you become disgusting like for <laughs> yeah, lack of a better all word. self of this control. is yeah this is just this is a diet called do what you want yep yes exactly and so when I first started reading about it I started seeing dietitians on Instagram posting and I was like that could never be me I could never just like have food and not binge it or not micromanage my body size. Mm -hmm. But then it came to a point where what I was doing was not working. I had regained all the weight that I lost in college. I was at rock bottom. I felt terrible about myself. I My body image was suffering. I was really unhappy. And it wasn't just about the weight piece. It was more because I felt like I had failed. Mm. And I'm in a career that is banking on the fact that like I can help myself. How can I... Yeah you know, eat, how can I help others with their food and body if I can't even do that for myself? And clearly all that was misguided, but essentially I just was exhausted. I couldn't do it anymore. And I'm like, there has to be another way. And the more I started to learn about intuitive eating, I'm like, I can never go back to where I was. I can never look away. And that's exactly how I felt when working with clients. From that point on, I genuinely could not give somebody a diet plan. I could not have mm. someone restrictively eat to lose weight. It just did not align with my values. It feels like cat food has been the same forever. Smelly, boring, made of mystery ingredients. That's why you've got to try Smalls. Smalls cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients you'd find in your fridge. And it's delivered right to your door. Make the switch from kibble and give your cat a meal they'll love. We actually sent some to my friend who is fostering kittens and it is the only thing they will eat. It comes in these pate packages and you scoop it and you just feel like you're a chef for your baby kitties and they j'adore it. Your cute kitty is descended from ferocious desert cats who hunted live prey. Even if your cat prefers to nap all day, they still need fresh protein-packed meals for a balanced and healthy diet. Other brands fill their food with mysterious meat byproducts, artificial flavoring, and preservatives with names I don't even want to try to pronounce. After switching it up to Smalls, 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements. That's major. The team at Smalls is so confident your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free. That means they'll completely refund you if your picky cat won't eat their food. Now is the time to make the switch to Smalls. Head to smalls.com DST and use promo code DST at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code DST for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code DST for 50% off your first order plus free shipping, baby. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. 
and you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there, and they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life, so it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N-U-U-L-Y.com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. We've spoken a little bit about intuitive eating and and, um, basically explained that there are 10 principles and they include, I mean, most of them are about listening to your body rather than external rules or external cues. But how would you kind of explain that philosophy to somebody who's never even heard of it? So what I think one of the biggest um, issues is Instagram has been incredible for giving out the message of intuitive eating. However, there are so many thin dietitians eating donuts and they're Mm. like, I love intuitive eating. And for somebody who has struggled with their body size for their entire life, they're like, okay, great. If I looked like you, I also would be eating and loving donuts. Yeah. And so intuitive eating is this practice of self-compassion, and it really helps you to reconnect your inner cues and build this positive relationship with food in your body. And it is based on mindfulness and compassion. And it is truly life-changing for people who have just struggled with their relationship with food in their bodies for as long as they have. And there are a lot of misconceptions about you know intuitive eating. I know you mentioned this earlier, but I think people view intuitive eating as anti-health. Yeah. And they say, well, you know, if I go about intuitive eating, then I don't care about my health. But what is health? Like, how do you define health? You know, I I think we've we've like tied weight and health together. And that's due to a lot of different reasons. But I think primarily the media, you know, pushing the thin ideal onto us. Yes that like we've intertwined them to the point where like you kind of feel like, well, if I'm not focusing on my weight, then what's the point? Like if I don't look healthy to other people, then what's the point of me wanting to be healthy? Yes. And the thing is, is you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, if you're just thinking about other people's perceptions, because I have a friend, Jessamine Stanley, who um, she's very well known for doing yoga in a bigger body. And she recently um, was put in this Gatorade ad. And she's on doing a headstand like with only her ar- or like an arm stand that is like looks like so difficult. And she's got her legs in the air. And all these men are commenting or you know, people are commenting, this isn't what health looks like. And just saying because she's a larger person that she's not healthy when she's literally doing a handstand most of us could not. That I can't do. Yeah. Hell no. <laughs> By the way, Remy, Sane Hoax posted that. Did you, I don't know if you follow. No, I didn't oh, see Oh, I yeah. follow them. Yes. And it was all the negative comments that this person received simply by existing, right? Yeah. Existing. And as you said, damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you don't exercise, how could you not care about your health? You're so unhealthy. If you do exercise, mm-hmm. There's criticism around that. And that is what so many people face. And it was like what you were saying about like, oh, how can I give this advice if I don't look 
a way that my clients will want to look like. That's something that I have heard people say about other people, whether it's a nutritionist, a registered dietitian, a yoga teacher, you know, they're like, why would I listen to this person if they don't have the body that I aspire to? And it's like, even if they did, that body is their body, like it's natural, either whether it's small or whether it's big or like, and even if we did all the same workouts and ate the you exact same probably way, we would wouldn't still look, look exactly different. the same as anyone. Yeah. No. And that's that also is like if I look back, like my own internalized fat phobia coming out that mm-hmm. like I've worked through and I help so many yeah. clients work through because we're conditioned to believe these things over time. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you say to your clients or um, have you had any clients who say, you know, that sounds good and that sounds interesting, but I'm just nervous that I'll be eating donuts all day, like you mm. said, or I'm just nervous that I'm never going to eat a salad again or wh- whatever they might say. But like, or I'm I know- nervous that this is going to make me an undisciplined person. Sure. Or that, you know, I'm going to gain way too much weight and I'll be obese or you know, what are the common misconceptions that Mm -hmm. you see in your clients and how do you explain that to them? Or do you sometimes encourage them not to try intuitive eating until they are in a certain uh, headspace? I'm curious about that. Yes, it's such a good question. I think somebody needs to be ready. And when I say ready, I mean, if, if weight loss is your number one goal, Mm-hmm. Going to somebody who is working on intuitive eating is likely not going to meet your needs in the way that you want it to. So most people that I work with, they would love to lose weight. They said to me, if only I could just like lose weight and then I could intuitively eat. Mm-hmm. But the clients that I work with are able to at least hang it up on the back burner and say, you know what? Like my relationship to food is at a place where I need to work on this. And yes, like Part of me still does want to lose weight, but I also really want to heal. And I really just want to have a better relationship with food. But I would say like so many of my clients come in and they're like, I'm afraid I'm just going to have donuts all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to want salad. And part of it is just actually doing the work. It's getting into the intuitive eating space. And for the first few weeks, you may only want donuts, Mm -hmm. but over time you will habituate to those foods and you will start you know, start to crave a whole variety of foods. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's almost like this pendulum swing where people who have been restricting for a really long time go the other way. And all of a sudden they're eating all of these off limit foods and they freak out and they go back to restriction. They don't hang out. Yes. They're not Mm. hanging out long enough in the space that they're able to habituate to foods and make peace with food and give them that self, give themselves the permission to have those foods. Mm -hmm. And to um, fluctuate in weight, if that's what they need to do. Like we see weight gain as automatically a negative thing, but in the case of intuitive eating, a lot of people do gain weight in that process, but it's actually what they need to do to heal that relationship. 100%. Yes. What about people on the other side of the spectrum that are coming and they maybe need to gain weight? Like, is there anybody who's like, oh, I'm I'm nervous that my body actually won't even like these or want these things because of how much I've been restricting? So I think it depends how long someone has been restricting for. How Mm -hmm. long have you been chronically dieting for? I will say most people who are restricting are not worried about not gaining enough weight. Usually the fear is I am mm. so worried that my body will change. Mm-hmm. And there is, you know, real validity to some of these fears. Like we live in a very fat phobic society. And so yeah. 
you know, if you do grow in body size, there are certain privileges that you might lose. You know, if you are all of a sudden going from straight size clothing to plus size, Mm -hmm. that is a privilege you are giving up. And so I never want to invalidate people when they come to me because it's so real what people go through on a day-to-day basis when it comes to their body size. Totally. Do you believe in set point theory? I definitely believe in set point range. So it's, it's, which is, what is essentially that for the idiots so, or sorry, the, <laughs> the uninformed. I'm one of those, by the way, I'm not saying range. that. <laughs> <laughs> so we all have this range. I call it like the happy weight range where our bodies naturally can fluctuate. It could be like five, 10, even 15, 20 pounds, but it is a range where your, com- your body comfortably sits. And the issue is when you start to chronically diet and you try and get under that set point range, your body is doing everything it can do to fight back, to get you to regain the weight back. Mm. And so I truly believe that there are some people who are meant to be in a, everyone is meant to be in a certain size weight range. And that is very much dictated by genetics. It's just, it's dictated by your environment and other factors. But the issue is so many of us try to override our body's natural inclination of where it wants to sit. And it's really tough. Yes, that mentality of if if I just have enough willpower, then I could have any body that I want. But the thing is, if that were true, don't you think everybody would just have the body that they want? Like there are people who struggle their entire lives trying to get down to There would be no beauty standards if everyone could attain the same thing. Mm, that's a really good point, actually. Right? If it was possible, we'd find something else that made people special. Yeah, it's so true. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I was actually curious to talk to you before all this, but specifically in the week that I was in Oregon with my boyfriend's family, who they like really healed my relationship with food when I was staying with them during COVID lockdown. Like they do not judge anything I eat. They never say you look good and here's why. They never, you know, like if it's like I look good, it's like you're so cute. Um, But there's never any focus on weight or whatever. If I got a haircut, I'm like, do you like it? They're like, do you like it? Wonderful people. Um, So you can imagine my surprise when one of them said to me when I first arrived, I lost weight. Did you notice? And I... I said, I did notice, but I didn't want to say anything. Was that intentional? And they said, no, actually, I got put on a diet because um, I have really high blood sugar, like bordering on diabetes. And so I'm on this special diet now where I really observe what I eat. It's less carbs. It's less this and this and this and less sugar. um, But I've lost this much weight. And I was like, cool like I didn't even know how to respond because I don't want to give that um reinforcement of like yay and you're smaller and that's the reason why this it was like yay you're healthier and like 
cool. Um, but I've noticed them being like, I fit in smaller pants now. Um, all of my bigger clothes and how wonderful is this and stuff. And so I was kind of thinking of what is the psychology of when you get put on a diet for health, but then weight loss seems to be the thing that you're excited about because I personally think I do need to be put on a diet for health, but I still get those twinges of, Ooh, yay, I lost weight. And then I feel like I'm regressing into disordered mentality. So how do you assign um, like food plans and diets to people that are already struggling with the concept of diets? Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is I think it is it is so normal for people who do experience weight loss to be happy about it, just given the society that we live in. Mm-hmm. And it shows you how easy it is to get sucked back into that mentality. Yeah. I could be working with someone for a year, two years, and all of a sudden they're like, should I try Weight Watchers again? I don't know. I'm, I'm stuck. And I think that the pull is so strong. And most people find themselves kind of straddling between these two boats of like anti-diet, wanting to give up dieting, and just also still really wanting to lose weight. Mm. What I will say is I love doctors. As somebody who has health anxiety, like doctors have been the saving grace. And Mm. doctors are not necessarily trained in nutrition. Doctors are very much trained in a very weight-centric paradigm. Yeah. Like there's a lot of times we've been saying that like you'll come in and be like, oh, my knee hurts. And somebody will be like, lose weight instead of just being like, let's check out your knee. Like, do you have fallen arches? Like what's going on? By the way, knee, I've heard clients say like my ear hurts and they're like, have you tried losing weight? Stop it. (laughs) Wild. Yes. Yes. Like at least knee, like me, like not that you need to lose weight for your knee, but I could But but your joints. That's a little weight on your joint or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like maybe your bones aren't. But but that's the other thing. Maybe you need more bone strength. Maybe you need more food. Maybe you need more food. Yeah. 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 And I mean, we we hear things all the time about how obesity is an epidemic, you know, and all this fear mongery language and how obesity leads to so many health problems. But what we don't really talk about is how obese patients will go see a doctor with a very valid health concern, Mm -hmm. but that will not actually be treated until they lose weight. Like losing weight is the plan A and medication or treatment is the plan B. So then people are suffering for much longer with these health concerns that um, haven't been addressed because of their weight. Yeah. And even the term obesity, I find it to be so pathologizing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as we said, like obesity has become this disease state. And Mm -hmm. What we don't talk about nearly enough is the harm of medical weight stigma and medical fat phobia and what Mm -hmm. that actually does on someone's health. You know, people avoid going to the doctor at all costs because they don't want to be told for the 100th time, Mm -hmm. just lose weight, Mm -hmm. as if they've never thought about it before. As if they've never tried. Right, right. Exactly. And you and know, that's people- the other thing, too, that I was thinking with this person's health journey and their weight loss is they've tried to lose weight before. And this time, since they're not thinking about losing weight is when they're actually losing weight. 
And I was saying that to Emily. I was like, don't you think that's so interesting? And she was like, yes and no, because like, at this point, we have the pe- we have people thinking about losing weight more than they ever have in the history of the world. And we also have the most amount of obesity, overweight, you know, like, yeah, there might and- be a correlation in focusing oh, up too much on it. Yeah. And what you brought up about weight stigma, I think, is really relevant in this because it's been proven that weight stigma in the medical industry ha- can also... Well, it definitely does not reduce obesity rates. We know that. Yeah. No, it it literally does the opposite of what, you know, even like weight loss, what we think it's going to do. It increases insulin resistance and blood Mm -hmm. pressure and cholesterol levels. It increases inflammation in the body and like your C-reactive protein, all these things that people don't even look at when you are actually looking at the research of those who are in larger bodies. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're almost like taking out a huge piece of it, which is medical mismanagement and mm-hmm. medical weight stigma. The other thing that I wanted to point out too is with most diets, the likely outcome of losing weight is regaining of weight. And so, you know, there is a statistic that three-fifths of people who actively try and pursue weight loss are gaining even more weight than what they intended to. And so if we're looking at these weight loss diets given by physicians, given by different practitioners, what is the end goal? Because if Mm -hmm. the end goal is for somebody to sustainably lose weight, but we know that diets increase weight in the long term, what are we doing? What are we doing? I think what the are we issue doing? is that everybody wants a quick fix. And yeah. that's why we see, you know, that's why the diet industry is a multi-million dollar industry because they are constantly marketing to us, you know, get slim in 60 days. And we say, oh my God, 60 days. Amazing. I could look like a new person. And we're not thinking about the long-term effects at all. Or thinking about like, where's the course love yourself in 60 days? You know, like, (laughs) just like, just like how you are right now. And also, if you need to work on other stuff, that's great. But like, also, if nothing, like, because that's what I think people assume is with the quick, quote unquote, fix. Oh, I'll be 60 pounds lighter. I'll love myself. The world will be perfect. Like, I, there are so many times that I've told Ben I need liposuction on my arms and he's mm-hmm. like you need to work on your, your brain. Um, mentality <laughs> yeah because yeah. he's yes. like he's like you're gonna get that cut off and like you're gonna find something else to cut off yes and also I think what ends up happening is people lose weight and then they're really you know they're upset when all of these things in their life didn't become perfect overnight exactly exactly and they're neuroses are still there. That's something that I experienced when I initially lost a good deal of weight was Mm -hmm. that I thought, I thought it would be smooth sailing afterwards. I thought I would get down to a certain size and I wouldn't worry about it anymore. But in fact, I was more worried than ever because of that statistic, because I knew that, you know, 93% of diets lead to gaining all the weight back. And it creates this neuroticism. And because there's still internalized fat phobia that if you do gain it back, you're a failure. You're less of a person. You deserve less stuff. You deserve less vacations. Like, and that's just not true. Absolutely. And I also think that Many people are aware that changing your mindset will make you a healthier, happier person. But like we were saying, you ju- there just is no quick fix for that. It takes yeah. 
sometimes years and going to therapy and really looking within yourself and that is difficult to do and I recognize that. And you know what sucks is there's no physical embodiment of what that improvement looks like. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yes. when you lose weight, at least you can look at the scale and you can see, yes. okay, I see these numbers. Um, whereas if you're working on your mental health, like the only way to calibrate that really is to like write down how you're feeling every day, right. like on a skit, you know, like and convert that into numbers, but it's not as easy to see. Yes. I actually, I had a client who had gained weight and like doing intuitive eating work and she was really upset and discouraged. And we, I'm like, why don't we go through what you've gained? Like, what else have you gained in this process? And the list Ooh. was so long. Oh, she was like, I'm so cooking gorgeous. now. I can go to dinner with friends. Like, yeah. dating is easier. All of these things just opened up for her when she took the, the weight piece out and was like, what else did I gain in my life? I love that so much. Okay, so here's my question too, just thinking back to this health diet, because we know doctors prescribe diets for various health reasons, but there can be a fine line between dieting for health and not focusing on the weight aspect. Do we have any tips for determining whether it's for a health reason or your practitioner just being fat phobic? So first of all, what is health? How How is this person defining health? Because mm -hmm. health might be different to all three of us. If somebody is exclusively looking at their labs and that's their way of defining health, for me, I really look at my mental health because if my mental health is shit, what, what does it even mean to have good physical health? And so I find that really becoming intentional with like, well, what is my, what is health? How do I define health? But also looking at the pros and cons to this diet. You know, mm -hmm. I had a client who had Lyme, chronic Lyme, and her doctor basically recommended she cut out like every single food that she possibly has ever liked in her life. Ugh. And when she did that, her mental health really declined. She felt more anxious than ever. So what was that actually helping? Because it wasn't having a significant impact on her overall physical health. Mm. And nutrition research is always evolving. Like we pretend we know all these things. We don't. It is, you know, fat was bad three, uh, 30 years ago, the low fat diets were in. Now we're saying fat is like excellent for you and you should eat more fat. It's constantly Just the changing. good fats. Just the healthy fats though. Healthy exactly. fats. Avocado. Yeah. I mean, we don't know, we don't even know for sure why we sleep, you know, like there are so many things that we haven't determined when it comes to health. The body is so mysterious that we can't even... And and that is also evidenced by the fact that every 10 years, there's a different catch-all diet. Mm -hmm. It's because we actually don't know anything. We're trying mm. to perfect this system that can't really be perfected. I would say we sleep to rest, except for every night I have these stressful-ass dreams where I either go to a job or Remy has wedding. another job in her dreams. <laughs> and I wake up so tired. You're working two full-time jobs. Two full-time jobs. God, um, you get the oh, man. <laughs> Can I give like one piece of advice for people who are being told by their doctor to go on this diet? Yes. If somebody feels comfortable enough, asking your doctor, would you prescribe this diet to somebody who is smaller than me? Ooh. Ooh. And that's a really hard thing to ask. I've had clients who've asked it, but yeah. it is hard to ask because usually what we see happen is doctors prescribe weight loss. 
mm-hmm. what happens with the person who comes in who's in a smaller body with diabetes? They're not they're not prescribing weight loss. They're saying, hey, why don't you pair protein with your carbs to you know help stabilize your blood sugars? Mm-hmm. So ask your doctor, would you prescribe this diet to somebody who is in a smaller body than I am? I love that. Would you it's- also recommend seeking out somebody like you, somebody who's, you know, a weight neutral dietitian for something like that, like maybe even forego the doctor? I don't know. So it's not so much forego the doctor because, however, I think the the benefit of having a weight inclusive practitioner, whether it's a therapist, an an intuitive Mm -hmm. eating dietitian, you have somebody in your corner to help you advocate for yourself. So I advocate on behalf of my clients. I help them craft emails. I will call doctors if I need to. I think you need to have somebody in your corner. And if you can, if you're in a situation that allows you to seek out health at every size or weight inclusive doctors and providers, that would be incredible as well. I do think it's important to get your bloods drawn though. Absolutely. For sure. And I, I talked about this on a recent episode, but I had a doctor say to me, I went in for a physical and I had the doctor say to me, I'm going to write you a re- referral for blood work, but you don't have to go if you don't want to. Right, right. And I said, why? And she said, because you're skinny. And Would you say that to somebody in a bigger body than me? Right. And and little does she know, you know, I, I've suffered from seizures before, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a low heart rate. Like I have certain things that I really should be checking my blood, but I also have a huge fear of getting my blood drawn because when I was little I was yes. much heavier and yes. they they could never find my veins so it goes so deep for me so the second she said you don't need to get your blood drawn I was like all right peace <laughs> and I know that I shouldn't have but that just kind of illuminated for me like yeah we do just do whatever the doctor says yeah. we do but we don't know if they're doing that because of a, a bias that they already have but that's why I'm like everybody get get your bloods because even though we have different body shapes and types and diet like things that we like to eat your bloods can tell you like if something is wrong mm-hmm. you know yes, I did sure. need medicine for Hashimoto's I am happy that I'm on it I think the moral of the story is DST is not recommending to people to not go to the doctor and not get their bloods drawn yeah <laughs> we're Guys, absolutely advocating doctor. for healthcare. Yeah, I'm pro healthcare. I'm, but I am anti weight stigma. I am too. Yeah, and you know those don't always have to go together. And I am always thinking about the title of this podcast, like Diet Starts Tomorrow, and being like, oh no, diet starts never. But there are diets sometimes that you have to go on for your health, or not have to, but that will make you healthier. And this, this case, what I'm talking about, where this person lost weight for health like I think that is good but then again I worry about that for the people who have disordered eating like how do you prescribe a diet to somebody who needs to separate weight loss you you know what I mean who who thinks of dieting as completely restrictive Mm Yeah. So you're you're asking how can we prescribe certain eating plans to somebody who might need it for certain, you know, maybe if they have prediabetes or diabetes or mm-hmm. high cholesterol mm-hmm. without it falling into this like restrictive patterns. Yeah. Um, that was you know, way more concise. <laughs> I think it depends on 
what is going on in this person's like health journey and and what if the pros are outweighing the cons obviously if somebody has extreme sensitivities to food if they have allergies to food that is like in a separate category if somebody feels better by removing certain foods from their diet and maybe adding in other foods perhaps they're constipated and they're like you know what i need to have a more high fiber diet Mm -hmm. i think it has to do with the intention behind the diet what is your main intention is it to lose weight or is it to feel better is it to go to the bathroom more so i think Mm -hmm. getting really clear on the why behind starting it and also is it doing more harm than it is good because i truly think that if somebody with a history of disordered eating and an eating disorder go back to more of a you know somewhat restrictive diet plan it could trigger them to fall back into those old patterns and that's not good for your health either stressing about eating and food and weight is not any more healthy than doing any of these specific diet plans Mm mm-hmm I feel like there are a lot of people that um, that they wa- they are interested in intuitive eating, but they're nervous because they have a busy schedule and they don't want to fall back into like eating convenience foods or foods that are seen as unhealthy processed foods. Um, how can you get into meal planning yeah. if you don't know what you're going to be hungry for? Yeah. Later? Yes. So. Meal planning is really interesting, and I actually think it absolutely fits in very nicely with this like intuitive eating journey, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. I will say that in the beginning of intuitive eating, you might notice your taste buds are different than when you are doing this type of work six months down the line. And I say that because most people who are coming into this space have been restricting certain foods for a really long time. So I don't want people to get discouraged if they're like, oh, like I'm I'm not eating in a way that feels great for me, but I, I feel like I'm doing this wrong. It probably is going to happen where you might be eating foods that you don't make you feel that great, but that is data that you are continuing to collect over time, that if you are working with a dietitian or a certified intuitive eating counselor, you can continue to collect that data with them to figure out. With dieting, it's so interesting because a diet is very black and white. You're either on a diet or you're off a diet. Mm -hmm. Intuitive eating is like this gray space and it's really scary for people because they're like, I just want to be told what to do. Yeah. Meal planning can help you to really be able to honor your hunger, to not go too long without eating, and then you find yourself binging or eating way past comfort later on. So I do think having a little bit of flexible structure is so helpful for people, especially when they're starting out this process. So how do you stay flexible? Like, is it just a matter of having a lot of different things that you enjoy eating in your fridge, a lot of options? So I like the idea of... Or is it like a capsule wardrobe? (laughs) Honestly, Where you're like, I know I'm going to want SpaghettiOs at one point. I better have a few cans. Sometimes you just know. That you're going to want spaghetti. With um, meal planning, this another dietitian, Rachel Hartley, came up with this idea of like meal preparedness, having different meals and snacks around your home or in the kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. And so by this, like if hunger does strike, 
you're not going to be overly stressed out. Like, what should I eat? What should I make? I don't have enough time. So having a few foods on hand and whether that means you're making food or you're strictly buying, you know, frozen Trader Joe meals, which I think are mm-hmm. extremely helpful. I consider I that meal planning too. Meal. Yes, I do too. Yes, it is. It's meal preparedness, right? Like you have frozen items in your freezer. Those are meals that you can eat. And so one tip that I usually give is can we choose one day during the week where you're looking at your schedule ahead? For me, I like doing this on Sunday. I look at my schedule. You know, what days do I have plans? What nights do I have clients late? How much energy do I have towards cooking? If it's none, Mm. maybe it's, you know, doing takeout. Maybe it's doing frozen items. But that is part of meal planning. I think people think of meal planning as I'm just going to go on Pinterest and make these like gorgeous meals and meal prep for 10 hours on Sunday. That is not what I'm suggesting at all. It's just having options around. See, that is way more attainable. (laughs) Like I I used to have roommates and they would meal prep every Sunday and there were so many Ziploc containers and I just would get so overwhelmed the whole week. For the whole week, because hmm. these were two working gals, and so they would cook together, and they would separate everything, like different meals into different Ziplocs, and just looking at it made my head spin. So yeah, your definition of meal planning is something that I really feel like I can get on board with, because I feel like I fall short. I think that could be really good for a specific person, though. Again, you know, like, yeah, I am the type of person that I do like hyperfixate on foods sometimes that I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to want the same breakfast every morning this week. So like if that's who you are, do that. Like who cares? You might get tired of it. Prepare for that. Like getting tired of that meal. And I think that and if you want the same breakfast for the next like 10 months, great. That's yeah. that's awesome. That's one less thing you have to worry about. I think where the trouble is is if somebody feels like they have to meal prep for like 5 hours on a Sunday, they're just not going to do anything. And Mm. it's, again, it goes back to this like all or nothing black and white thinking, whereas this creates a lot more flexibility and there are no Mm -hmm. rules. It's just like what works for the individual. Mm -hmm. What about going out to eat? Do you think that people struggle more going out to eat rather than eating at home when it comes to eating intuitively? So I actually think that people have an easier time eating out because they are they're actually able to choose things that they like versus mm-hmm. what they feel like they're supposed to order. And it gives them or the what opportunity. they're capable of making in the moment. Yes. True. Yes. And so you're choosing, if you want the pasta, you get the pasta. It's not like a whole back and forth and feeling guilty afterwards. I do think people tend to struggle. What do I make at home? Because there's much more decision-making happening. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah. they think they need to do it perfectly. It's like, if you want a frozen, I love frozen dumplings from Trader Joe's. Like those are like so good. So good. Yeah. All the Trader Joe's frozen stuff. Yes. It's just elevated. Um, how do you feel about calorie counts on menus? I was going to ask that, Emily. No, how you were crazy. not. Yes. Oh my God. We're so simpatico. Oh my goodness. So 2012 Brittany would have been like, this is amazing. Like we need right? this. 2022 Brittany cringes and I'm like no one no one wants to know like how is this serving anyone there are so many other public health initiatives that we could be doing that isn't setting calories because by the way there are people who can't afford anything else but some of the higher calorie meals in 
stores. Um, I'm not a fan because I think anytime we're just hyper fixating on the wrong thing, it doesn't help anyone. It's so funny that you brought that up because I was literally at a place where it's like a big enough chain where they have to disclose it. And I remembered back in the day, there was speculation when the company Houston's had to open up a bunch of hillstones. People thought it was because they were trying to get around. If you have a certain amount of restaurants under the same name, you have to show the calorie count. And I was like, oh, that's horrible. Like they should have to show the calorie count. That being said, I don't know if that was their reason for doing it. But like, I remember being like, that's horrible. Because now everyone's just going to be eating all this stuff willy you know, like, and now when I saw calories on a uh, menu this time, I was like, oh, this is horrible. So it's just funny how like our mindsets have changed in such a small amount of time. Yeah, I've found more often with the calorie counts that it makes you fixate on things more than you even would have. Like if I see a burger and it's a certain amount of calories, but then right next to it is, I don't know, a Cobb salad that's maybe 200 calories less. No, the Cobb salad's more. Well, sometimes it's more. (laughs) Sometimes it's more and you don't know. And that's interesting. But sometimes it's, it's such a negligent difference like a negligent amount Yeah, it's like five calories but you're like I should get exactly I should get the salad and then you wouldn't even want the salad so like you're still hungry and you're not satisfied after and then you end up eating more by the Mm -hmm. end of the day yes this uh, yes yes over and over again like I had a client who went to get a smoothie the smoothie had like several calories less and then she got that smoothie and realized, like, this is disgusting. I wish Yucky. I had, like, another one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's true. You end up fixating on the number versus, like, what is satisfying, what tastes good, what is something that I would actually enjoy. So you don't go back into the kitchen and continuously eat all the snacks. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing once you actually start to notice that happening. Like, it took me such a long time. It took It took, you know, over a year for me to start noticing this, but... Once I realized, oh, yeah, because I ate that thing that I really wanted, I'm not eating a whole sleeve of cookies right now. I feel Mm -hmm. I still feel satisfied. It's such a magical feeling. And it's really honestly empowering if you've never had that kind of uh, relationship with your body, if you've never felt in tune in that way to actually notice those changes. And if you've ever like if you've never felt like you could assert that you you know how you feel in this moment. Like the other day I had like a massive breakfast and then it was time for lunch and I was like, you guys, I can't eat lunch. I had a massive breakfast. And just like knowing that and being like, no, I'm pretty sure, sh- I know that I'm not doing this because I don't, it's not because I don't deserve it. It's because like breakfast was big. And then you, I bet you felt better throughout the day that you didn't have a, a heavy yeah. lunch. And then I actually enjoyed my dinner because I wasn't like forcing lunch down. What's so interesting is like we are all born intuitive eaters. Babies are intuitive eaters when they're born. Babies know when they're hungry. They stop when they're full for the most part. But what happens is those signals get overrided by our parents, you know, who think they're doing something right. But we're told like, oh, you've had enough to eat or you need to eat more. So or eat your veggies before you can have something else. Mm-hmm. Dessert. Yes. And so for anyone listening to this that are like iffy on the idea of intuitive eating, I'm not trying to get everyone to come over to the side um, because that's kind of can feel cult-like and I, I totally yeah. get that. 
But what I'm saying is like, you're actually born an intuitive eater. It just takes some time and some energy and work to rediscover what you were born with originally. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that because I I do feel like there are a lot of people that are like, okay, that's great for all these people, but that could never be me. I'm built differently. I'm wired differently. Mm -hmm. I mean, I used to think that about myself, that there was no way I could have a half gallon of ice cream in my house and not eat the whole thing. I was just wired differently, which is not true. Isn't that the weirdest feeling when you can have food in your house that you don't eat all at the same time? I discovered Halloween candy from last year and I was like, what? Like this is bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. Was it still edible? I honestly, I threw it out because I had a whole other sack of Halloween candy right. that I like well, just... We, we could use some fresh candy. So mm-hmm. I use fresh candy, but it's so true. And I used to think that I was addicted to food. I'm like, I'm obsessed with food. It's such a negative thing. Like, why do I always think about food? And now I view it as like such a, a highlight. Like, I love food. It makes me want to travel more. It makes my dinners more mm-hmm. fun with my fiance and with friends. So I've switched the narrative of like, oh, like, why am I this person that loves food to... How great is this that I love food? It's such a yeah. incredible part of my life. I so yeah. much. I used to be so ashamed about the fact that I loved food or even having a meal and being like, mm, this is good, like relishing mm. in the food. It used to give me so much shame. And then one day, well, not one day. I mean, it took years, but <laughs> I did realize, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with loving food. In fact, it is the highlight of my day quite often. Totally. And that's great. I like, think to have it is something. the highlight of humanity. Think about how much food had to be discovered and made in order for us to get the dishes we have now. Like And experimented with. And experimented with. Like the luckiest thing like of us living in this time is all the great food that we have. Yes. Well, you know, we do need to wrap up soon, but I'd love to know, like, what do you want people to take away from this if they learn nothing else? Or what do you want people to know about the anti-diet lifestyle if they take away nothing else? So anti-diet is not anti-health. You know, we, everyone who is in this space, like truly wants people to feel their absolute best. And Mm It's about trusting your body again. It's about cultivating that really kind, compassionate, loving relationship to yourself that unfortunately diet culture has eroded for so many of us. And starting to intuitively eat is not giving up on yourself. It's actually like beginning your life again. And I think that's something that I really want to drive home to people is I think when someone thinks like I'm not dieting anymore, oh, Like I've given up on myself. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, like you're starting this whole new phase of your life where you can actually put time and energy towards other more important things. You're being reborn as an intuitive baby. (laughs) Like a born again Christian. Yeah, born again baby. Um, thank you so much for coming thank on the show. Thank you so much. Oh my so God. smart and lovely and we'd love to have you on again in the future. Where can people find you and follow you? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much. I was saying this has been like a bucket list because obviously I have listened to DST for as long as it's been on air. So I am most active on Instagram. It's at no food fears. You can also find me hanging out on TikTok at no food fears. I have a podcast called the food therapy podcast where we talk about anti-diet and body image work. And then my website is Brittany Modell RD.com. And I, 
Hopefully you'll put in the show notes because yes, maybe yeah, great. They're yeah, down there right now. Check it out, you Amazing. guys. Fabulous. And I will be listening to your podcast because I'm always yes. looking for more podcasts about this okay. topic. I find it fascinating. Yes. And if you guys are too. Well, too, yeah. Um, that is it for today's episode. Be sure to send your questions to dst at betches.com to get them answered. Yep. Follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram. If you liked this episode, which I think you did, um, please write us a review. And don't forget to check out our DST merch on shop.betches.com. Rate, review, subscribe to the show. And then, of course, follow me at Remy Casimir. Follow me at Lubination. And we're always with you. Through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Aliza Zinn. Editing by Sean Kilby. Social media by Aliza Zinn. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Be sure to follow Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com or your voicemails to 212-287-5650. Betches.